Di ba nga, namanggit pa sa librong uh, Waltzing with the Dictator by Raymond Bonner na talagang super close itong si Ver kay Marcos. Ayon nga daw sa isang CIA officer, and I quote, The last person Marcos spoke with before he went to bed at night was Ver. And he was the first person Marcos said good morning to. End of quote. Wait lang. Wait lang. Sorry. Kilig. <laughs> Oo. Oh, but parang k- kinilig ako ng very light. Sana all may nagugood na ito at nagugood morning. Kinilig. Oh. Nakakilig. <laughs> I thought ML. BL pala ito. <laughs> Welcome to podcast Conversations in Philippine History, Politics, and Society. Ako si Bro. Ako si Lee. Ako si Aaron. At ako si Vec. Isa na namang personalidad ang pag-uusapan natin sa episode na ito ng Shapers and Shakers, where we look back at country's martial law era from the vantage point of its select personalities. So far, it has been quite interesting na balikan yung iba't-ibang mga kontrobersya at istorya ng mga personalidad na ito. Samot sa mga kwento na nga ang napag-usapan natin in our quest to retell the many stories that emanated from this period and its main players. At hindi lang basta-bastang kwento. We also highlighted important decisions they made at yung iba pa nga, mga masasabi natin, momentous decisions na nakapagpabago sa takbo ng kasaysayan ng bansa. For example, si Marcos, kung maalala nyo na he did a retreat to Baguio to reflect about the need for martial law, na kahit naman alam natin, planado na niya. Diba? So, kunwari na lang din natin alam. Or si Ninoy, about sa decision niya na bumalik sa Pilipinas despite the imminent danger sa kanyang buhay. As a consequence of his return, he was assassinated. At alam nating naging mitsa yan ng kaliwat ka ng protesta mula sa mga manggagawa, mga estudyante, at iba pang hanay ng lipunan. At related rin ito sa martial law personality na tampok natin today. Kasi kasama siya sa mga tinukoy ng Agrava Commission na involved sa pagpatay kay Ninoy. At ang acquittal niya noong 1985 ay nagdulot ng mga malakihang demonstrations which would later overflow into the February 1986 People Power. And speaking of People Power, ano, may napanood ako sa TikTok noong nakaraan. Video clip siya noong 1986 highlighting yung kagandahang loob umano ni Marcos na iligtas ang mga... EDSA protesters mula sa isang military response or airstrike noong 1986 people power. Pakinggan nga natin yan. At a palace news conference, his top general argued with him. I understand you gave them orders to wait. And, I told them to wait because... There are massing civilians near our troops and we cannot keep on withdrawing. They asked us to withdraw yesterday. When I talked to Mr. Enrile, he said you talked to you, we withdraw again. My order is to disperse the crowd. You all the time, Mr. President. Without must... shooting them. No, 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 no. Hold on. You disperse the crowd without shooting them. So that scene was from a television conference after the eventful snap elections of 1986. A critical moment that sparked feelings of unrest and the need to topple the Marcos dictatorship, leading to the people protesting in EDSA. In the clip, Marcos Sr. refused to respond in violent terms and insisted on dispersing the crowd without shooting, despite his chief of staff, General Fabian Ver, insisting on the former. In other words, papuputokan dapat yung mga nasa EDSA. So, are you saying mabait si Marcos? <laughs> Hindi rin. Well. <laughs> Hindi rin. 
Kasi ayon sa UP Third World Study Center, verified na may order na paulanan ng bala ang mga protesters. Ayon rin sa official gazette, there was a kill order to attack Camp Crame kung saan nagstay yung mga bumaliktad na Defense Minister Juan Ponce Enrile at Constabulary Chief Fidel Ramos ng mga panahon na yon. At kung maalala natin, hindi lang ito natuloy dahil na rin sa paglabag ng ilang military official sa chain of command kasi ayaw nilang madama yung mga sibilyan. May mga declassified information citing Marcos Sr. ready to defend himself against the imminent rebellion. May mga nakalap information ang Vera Files about dito. For instance, in a radio broadcast, Marcos Sr. said that, and I quote, we'll wipe them out. It is obvious that they are committing rebellion, end of quote. In a declassified telegram as reported by then U.S. Ambassador Stephen Bosworth, And I quote, Marcos said he will do everything he can to prevent violence, but when it comes to our lives, I will defend myself. End of quote. Unfortunately, no, the, the clip has been shared a million times na rin pala sa Facebook, like YouTube at iba pang mga social networking sites, which gives us an idea how massive this information campaign is. May naipanalo pang ang presidente, remember? So are we saying na severe yung masama? <laughs> so, ayan, malalaman natin yun today dahil ang topic ng ating podcast ay ang buhay ni General Fabian Vera, the so-called right-hand man of Marcos Sr. At gaya ng iba, marami rin shaper and shaker decision sa buhay itong si General Vera. No? At ang mga yan ang pag-uusapan natin sa pagbabalik ng podcast. Kung may loyalty award lang siguro sa mga Marcos, siguro mga 50 medals o higit pa ang mapupunta kay General Ver. Kasi mula pagkabata, nakadikit na ang pangalan niya kay Marcos Sr. Ipinanganak itong si Fabian Maria Trinidad Juan Cirilo Crisologo Ver or Fabian Ver noong January 20, 1920. So lahat no, seven words. So siguro kaya rin naging close lang ni, ni Ferdinand Marcos kasi tiba. Si Ferdinand Marcos, mahiligan sa seven. seven. Eh. So parang, uy, seven yung, seven yung name mo. Ingit, ingit si ako. <laughs> Swerte yan. Anyway, tubong sarat, Ilocos Norte, itong si Fabian Ver. At bata pa lang nga daw, ay malapit na sila ni, nitong si Ferdinand Marcos Sr. Distant relatives sila, habang ang ilang sources ay nagsasabing actually magpinsan sila niyan. So ano man yan, basta sure tayo na beshies sila noon pa. Ver attended University of the Philippines and also served as a UP vanguard. He graduated in 1941 and later obtained the rank of third lieutenant and served as a guerrilla intelligence officer during World War II. Oh, in fairness, parang yung best friend niya rin talaga, no? War veteran at nag-lead pa nga raw umano ng mga guerrilla and won many battles. Pero syempre, alam naman natin na Japake yung mga yun. Sabi na rin ng National Historical Commission of the Philippines. Pero, kaiba sa kanyang bestie, Ver pers- pursued his military career. So after the war, he first resumed his law studies and received a Bachelor of Law degree in 1951 from the University of Manila. While in service, he was part of the troops that blocked the Hook Rebellion. 
later awarding him the Gold Cross Award for leading a 26-man Tiger unit. Hindi lang yan, ha? he also pursued graduate studies. So he took police administration from the University of Louisville in 1963 and also participated in training stints in Hawaii and Los Angeles Police Department. So in all fairness, he did establish himself as an expert in intelligence and security. In fact, during the 1965 elections, some reports claim that Vert thwarted multiple assassination attempts on Marcos as he served as bodyguard and chauffeur to his big shot politician friend. Mm, tahimik lang daw itong si Ver, no? Parang si Mark Villar. Eh, <laughs> so, shy and taciturn as what others would describe him. And he himself considered his personality as the one who uh, works in the background. Pero lahat lang yan, no, magbabago come 1965. Marcos won the presidential elections against Makapagal and would later bring Ver into the limelight. Ver served as the main security aide of Marcos at hindi katakataka na biglang buhos din yung mga promotions sa kanya. Una na riyan ay ang pagiging commander of Presidential Security Command, enabling him to stay in Malacanang. And an earshot to his bestie, Marcus Sr., obviously. Ayun pa nga kay Juan Ponce Enrile, sobrang close nitong si Ver at, sa pam- at ng pamilya Marcos. And as the commander of PSC, may easy access ito sa Pangulo. Di ba nga, namanggit pa sa librong uh, Waltzing with the Dictator by Raymond Bonner, na talagang super close itong si Ver kay Marcos. Ayon nga daw sa isang CIA officer, and I quote, The last person Marcos spoke with before he went to bed at night was Ver, and he was the first person Marcos said good morning to. End of quote. Wait lang. Wait lang. Sorry. Kilig. <laughs> Oo. But parang k- kinilig ako ng very light. Sana all may nagugood night at nagugood morning. Kinilig. I thought ML. Kulig. BL pala ito. <laughs> may good night, good morning texts. Uh, so, he, so we can say that he was indeed a man of Marcos. Through and through. Ano? Meron pa kang kwento affir- affirming Ver's loyalty to McCoy kung saan inutusan di umano siya ni Marcos Sr. na tumalon from a building. Tapos ang sagot lang daw ni General Ver ay, Yes sir, what floor? <laughs> And years after, okay, General Ver himself confirmed it. Sabi niya, Yes, that's true. With my loyalty. Pak, sana all. Sana makahanap Besh, tayo ng mga Besh, ganyan. Hindi, hindi dapat kay Dovey Beams na Totoo, insecure si Imelda. Correct. Hindi natin alam. <laughs> pero sige, eme lang. Joke lang po yun. Joke lang po yun. <laughs> pero interesting na tingnan kung loyalty bang ito. Yung loyalty ba na to na actually ay nage-extend beyond Marcos at actually para sa bayan. So, uh, di ba, parang General Luna na parang bayan o sarili, di ba? Parang ganyan ba yung inabot ng loyalty na to ni, ni Fabian Ver? Or parang mas appropriate ba yung tanong na parang bayan o si Beshi? Parang ganun eh. Totoo yan. So, may point, no? Kasi dahil sa mga susunod na taon, magiging instrumental si Ver sa diktaturiya. Case in fact was how the military squeezed into the weak political system of the country. At yan ang uusisain natin sa pagbabalik ng podcast. Mm-hmm. 
the year 1981 was momentous for Ver as it was the year when Marcos Sr. appointed him as the Chief of Staff of the Armed Forces of the Philippines, the institution that grew exponentially since the imposition of martial law in 1972. So in 1981, it was a force of 160,000 soldiers. Aside from numbers, kapansin-pansin rin ang paglawak ng impluensya ng militar sa gobyerno mismo. May discussion nga si Professor Caroline Hernandez dito no, sa expansion na naganap. Ayon sa kanyang article na Philippine Military and Civilian Control under Marcos and Beyond, pinalawak ng martial law ang powers ng military by giving them wider sphere of responsibility. Transcending those normal responsibilities like national defense, internal security, law, and order. Yeah, no, so, and during the martial law period, the military was assigned to new judicial, diplomatic, economic, and commercial roles as demanded by the civilian political authority. So in other words, kinasangkapan yung military para sa political agenda na in turn, nagdulot ng dagdag kapangyarihan kung sino man ang may hawak ng armas. At ilan nga sa mga nakinabang rito ay itong si General Fabian Ver. Since apart from being the chief of the armed forces of the Philippines, he also held other positions of power such as the Director General of the National Intelligence and Security Authority or NISA and he also served as the most trusted aide of Marcos Sr. So talagang patronage system at its finest, ika nga nila. At syempre, kung may dagdag na influence, dapat may dagdag pondo rin dyan. So, from 1971 to 1980, according to research, the Philippines had the highest increase in military expenditure at around 279%, despite having the least percentage increase in GNP in Southeast Asia at around 75%, compared to Indonesia's 85%, Thailand's 81%, Singapore's 110% or Malaysia's 100%. In other words, nangulelat tayo sa panahon na nagsipag-arangkada ang mga kapitbahay natin. Tapos saan pa napunta yung pondo? Maliban sa nakaw, napunta ito sa military expenditure. At bukod dyan, malaki din ang naging role ng military at kasama na rin dito ang kanilang involvement sa mga human rights violations as dictated by the regime. In fact, ayon sa Human Rights Violations Victims Memorial Commission, 11,103 people ang naging biktima ng human rights violations noong martial law. So, yung mga yan ay either pinaslang or nawala na lang. Sa bilang naman ng Amnesty International, pumapalo sa 107,200 people ang ang bilang ng mga pinaslang, tinorture, at kinulong. Noong Rehiming Marcos. Ayon pa sa Amnesty International, mahigit 34,000 yung kabuoang bilang ng mga tortured individuals noon. At alam natin kung gaano kalala yung mga pinagdaanan ng mga torture victims noon. Eh no? uh, maraming mga stories about their experiences and they're very open to talking about it. Halimbawa dito, yung isang method na ginagamit ay yung uh, electric shock kung saan kukuryentehin yung mga dalire at yung mga genitals ng biktima, minsan kinakabit rin ito sa kamay at sa ulo para magbigay sila ng information na hinihingi ng mga nang to torture sa kanila. 
Yeah, no, so at napakarami na rin depiction yung mga torture methods na yan sa iba't ibang media bukod dun sa mga first person accounts, primary sources mula dun sa mga survivors. No, meron pa yung ilan sa mga horrific torture methods yung San Juanico Bridge na tinatawag uh, where the victim lies between two beds and if this particular per- person falls, diba, additional bugbog yung yung mangyayari sa kanila, diba? No? So, that talagang sa human rights discourse, one person tortured is one person too many talaga sa kahit anong konteksto. Meron din yung ano, truth serum na madalas daw gawin sa Vilu na hospital kung saan ginagamitan ng psychoactive drugs yung mga biktima para umamin at mag-share ng information. Mm-hmm. So, yan yung mga ginagawa nila during interrogation, ano? At yung isa pa ay yung Russian roulette. So, isa yung kilalang method ng torture kung saan the victim is forced to aim a revolver at his or her head and then pull the trigger. So, um, kumbaga psychological torture din ito, hindi lang physical. Inan lang yan sa mga torture methods noon. Ano? At uh, nangyari ang mga ito sa panahon ng panunungkulan ni General Ver bilang punong abala sa military activities noong panahon ng martial law. Naging mabanguman ang pangalan ni Ver sa kanyang bestie. Hindi naman kaaya-aya ang kanyang imahe sa hanay ng mga estudyante. While Ver was the fourth UP vanguard to serve as the chief of staff ng AFP and also able to organize scholarships for UP, especially UP vanguard, and even facilitated the construction of the vanguard building, hindi ito naging sapat para bumango ang pangalan niya sa mga estudyante. When Ver visited UP before, the student body headed by Lian Alejandro opposed his visit and staged mass demonstrations against it. Yeah, no, so hindi lang yan. No? So rumors about Ver's disagreements with Enrile and Ramos also emerged. No? So especially when Ver became the chief of staff in 1981 as opposed uh, by the so-called professional faction or yung mga formerly trained from West Point or PMA no so heavily favored itong West Point graduates uh, na si Ramos for example uh, while Ver relied more on connections and uh, loyalty no banggit nga niya no ni Ver no so and I quote I am a loyal soldier no so my loyalty is my only asset in the world of the military I am not educated as the others, but I am loyal and I am dedicated. So, end quote. No? So, talagang, ano yun? <laughs> yung isang libro nga na lumabas, Dogs in Philippine History, kumbaga. Mm. We shout out sa ating kaibigang si Ian Alfonso sa kanyang book, no? Dogs in Philippine History. So, sa mga taong ring ito, hindi naging maganda ang imahe ng military dahil na rin sa pagkakasangkot ng ilang top brass officials sa mga political issues, gaya na lamang, syempre, nung pagkakapas lang kay Dinoy Aquino. At sentro sa kasong ito ay si General Fabian Ver, since he allegedly participated in the assassination plot. Which prompted him to take a leave of absence due to such accusation. At matatandaan na siya rin ang Director General ng NISA na nawala rin kasabay ng kanyang pagkakasangkot. Uh, I mean, to the dismay of many, By December 2, 1985, Ver and 26 other suspects were acquitted by the Sandigan Bayan of the murder uh, of Aquino Galman, uh, which resulted in, of course, public outrage. So nabanggit natin kanina na isa ang event na ito, the assassination of Ninoy, sa magiging mitsa 
ng people power sa and eventually leading to to EDSA. So kung interested in ating mga listeners, meron tayong episode where we covered uh, the Agrava Commission and of course we also had an episode about um, EDSA itong nakaraan lang ano itong anniversary. So pakihanap na lang sa mga naunang season at uh, paki-comment sa episode na ito para din maalala namin ano. Maraming salamat. <laughs> so yung tanong, sangkot ba talaga si Ver sa pagpatay kay Ninoy? At sabi nila ito rin daw yung tanong ng kanyang anak na si June. Uh, while their family was in exile in Germany. So si June ay panganay na anak ni Ver sa kanyang common law wife na si Edna Kamkam. So ayon kay June, ang sagot daw ng kanyang tatay ay, How could you even say that? He was my brother at UP and we were friends. At dagdag pa daw ni Ver, I gave him almost everything he asked for. Special food, special visits by family and friends. We even allowed him to get out from time to time. Instrumental pa nga daw ang kanyang ama sa pagpapadala kay Ninoy sa Boston. Ani ni June, banggit ni Ver, and I quote, I pleaded his case to President Marcos while Ninoy was at the Heart Center. End of quote. Nangutang pa nga raw umano si Ver para sa plane ticket ni Ninoy papuntang Boston. Banggit pa ni Ver, I had nothing to gain and everything to lose by Ninoy's death on Philippine soil. When the Marcoses fled Malacanang in 1986, kasamang tumakas ang pamilya ni General Ver patungong Hawaii. Ilang beses rin silang nagpalipat-lipat ng bansa hanggang sa mapadpad sa Germany hanggang mapayagang bumalik sa panahon ni Joseph Estrada kapalit ng pagharap nito sa patong-patong na kaso kakabit ng assassination kay Ninoy. Yeah, and on November 21, 1998, Ver died of pulmonary complications sa Bangkok. Thailand. Hanggang sa kasalukuyan, wala pa rin hustisya sa pagkamatay ni Ninoy at wala pa verdict sa marami pang human rights cases against the Marcoses kung saan malaking parte ang ginampanan ni Ver bilang chief of staff ng AFP. Pero para sa kanyang anak na si Juana, Uh, nakapatid ni June, may responsibilidad ang lahat na huwag malimot ang mga human rights violations noong panahon ng martial law. So itong si Juana, highly active ito sa pag-document ng mga human rights violations noong diktadurya. So it's very interesting that it's someone, uh, a descendant no, of someone who, ha- who, who is culpable uh, during that time na gumagawa ng paraan para mailabas itong mga human rights violations noong panahon na ito. At siya mismo humingi siya ng tawad sa mga biktima ng Reming Marcos. At uh, maaari, mga biktima rin ng kanyang ama. Yeah, no, so kaiba ito sa statement ng kanyang kapatid uh, na si June saying that uh, dapat magpatawad ang isa't isa para sa bayan. Dahil para kay Juana, walang duda na sangkot ang kanyang ama sa mga human rights violations. At hindi ito dapat isantabi dahil ang pananahimik ay magdudulot lamang ng paglimot ng susunod na henerasyon. And that's it for our episode today. Thank you for listening sa isa na namang makabuluhang discussion about sa buhay ng ating shaper and shaker ngayong araw. Next week, panibagong individual na naman ang ating uusisain, kaya abangan natin yan. Maaari nyo rin hulaan kung sino yan. So, hintayin lang ninyo ang aming who's that Pokemon na, na picture na upload. <laughs>
Continue supporting podcast by liking our social media pages. And of course, panoorin nyo rin kami uh, sa YouTube. Nandoon din ang ating mga episodes. At baka nakalimutan nyo na, type nyo lang podcast.org if you want to learn more about the show. That's our website. So again, maraming salamat sa pakinig. Ingat lagi and have a good day.